They say the best things in life are free. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus states, freely you've received, freely give. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. We are a not-for-profit adult religious re-education ministry, helping folks rediscover and understand the teachings of the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you'd like to help us do what we do, I'll tell you how you can become a supporter of Renewed Heart Ministries after this. But for now, it's our hope that as you listen, your heart will be renewed, and inspired to embody the beautiful values and teachings of the Jesus story. Till the only world that remains is a world where love reigns. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to this week's weekly podcast. Our title this week is Love Your Enemies. Our feature text is from Sayings Gospel Q 6, 27-28 and verse 35. Love your enemies and pray for those persecuting you so that you may become sons of your Father, for He raises His Son on bad and good and reigns on the just and the unjust. The saying that we're going to be looking at this week builds actually on the passage that we looked at last week. Uh, the last saying of, of blessed are those who are persecuted um, uh, was important. It was important for us to understand that when we work for social change, there would be pushback. But but this week, um, uh, 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 it's just as important that we learn how we're to respond to those that are, that are behind that pushback. This week's saying um, goes one step further and it addresses how we're to respond to our persecutors. So let's look at how this saying is, is first written in our companion gospel text, Luke 6, 27-28. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. In Matthew 5, 44-45, But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, arguably, the most prominent American champion of enemy love in the context of working towards social change in the last century was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And on November 17, 1957, King stood before the, the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, and he delivered a sermon entitled Loving Your Enemies. Now, I'm going to put a link to this sermon uh, so that you can watch it on YouTube, a link to this sermon in this week's e-site. I think it's important for you to hear this sermon in King's actual voice. But uh, this is what he said. I've seen too much hate to want to hate myself. And every time I see it, I say to myself, hate is too great a burden to bear. Somehow we must be able to stand up against our most bitter opponents and say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we will still love you. We cannot in all good conscience obey your unjust laws and abide by the unjust system, because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. So throw us in jail, and we will still love you. 
bomb our homes, threaten our children, and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hour and drag us out on some wayside road and leave us half dead as you beat us, and we will still love you. Send your propaganda agents around the country and make it appear that we are not fit culturally and otherwise for integration, but we will still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer, and one day we will win our freedom. But we will not only win freedom for ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. And last summer, I spoke at a convention, and I sat in the audience during another speaker's session. And at the end of that session, a participant asked uh, the speaker this question, uh, what is it that prevents the present hegemony from simply being replaced by another hegemony when it is overthrown? And and as we've shared before, remember, a hegemony is just another word uh, for a domination system in which one group holds hierarchical domination over a group that that it has subjugated. And Jesus' vision, remember, is not a hegemony. It is a world where there is no more domination. There's no more subjugation. It's a world where every person uh, is treated with the same indiscriminate egalitarianism that's expressed in, in the shining of the sun and the falling of the rain. But but the audience member's question about replacing one hegemony with another, it, it, that's a serious and important important question. The the challenge with most revolutions is that the revolution's enemy is framed as someone to be defeated rather than won over. uh, They're the ones we need to defeat and and then subjugate as they had subjugated others. And this approach, it doesn't remove pyramids of oppression. It simply replaces them with different pyramids of oppression, Uh, maybe founded on a different set of values, but it's a pyramid of oppression nonetheless. And this is not the vision of either Dr. Martin Luther King or or of the Jesus of the Gospels. Uh, The answer to the problem I believe is in King's concept of a double victory. Not only can we win liberation from oppression, but we can also win our oppressors to join us in this liberation work. And the goal, again, is that everyone gets to enjoy the sunshine and the rainfall, uh, everyone equally. And this paradigm of, of a double victory, it's rooted in what we're looking at this week, this, this concept of enemy love. Rather than seeking retributive justice against uh, the revolution enemies, which too often just, again, becomes an attempt to extract an eye for an eye of what they've done to us, now we're going to do to them. Jesus's enemy love is rooted in restorative transformative, uh, liberative justice. It's a justice that frees all parties that are involved. Enemy love requires us to see our enemies as in need of liberation from a system of injustice as much as we are. Their liberation is of a different character than ours, yet they still have a need. I do want to say a word of caution, though, uh, about this teaching of enemy love before we go any further. Remember, Jesus was a poor Jewish teacher in first century Palestine, and he lived under Roman rule. He was he was not as many as... Uh, 
uh, of us are today. He was not a citizen of, of any of the most powerful nations in the world. And, and to illustrate this difference, Howard Thurman once wrote in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, page 33, he wrote, Jesus was not a Roman citizen. He was not protected like Paul by the normal guarantees of citizenship, that that quiet sense of security which comes from knowing that you belong and, and the general climate of confidence which it inspires. If a Roman soldier pushed Jesus into a ditch, he could not appeal to Caesar as Paul did. He would be just another Jew in the ditch. Unless one lives day by day without a sense of security, he cannot understand what world separated Jesus from Paul at this point. In Luke's gospel, Jesus was not part of the Jewish wealthy elite. Jesus belonged to the community of the poor. And you can discover this by, by contrasting Luke 2.24 uh, when comparing that with Luke 12, or sorry, Leviticus 12, verse 8. Jesus was not telling wealthy people as a, as a wealthy person himself, uh, listen, we need to, to, to be more gracious, be more charitable toward, toward these poor, impoverished people around us. When Jesus spoke of generosity, and he did speak of generosity, he was actually speaking speaking to his fellow poor craftsmen and rural peasant farmers in Galilee, and he was giving them teachings on how, how we can create an alternative society where each of us trusts God to send people to take care of us to the degree that we can let go of some of the, the things we're hoarding out of insecurity and, and listen to, to that God as, as that God sends us to go and take care of, of, uh, of others. So, so Jesus called us to, to the poor as a member of the poor, uh, that section of society, he 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 called um, them to an alternative society that he called the the rule of God, or as some Christian theologians have have called the the kingdom. So when Jesus spoke about loving one's enemies in the same exact way. He was not part of the wealthy elite speaking um, to the poor, saying, you need to love uh, us, the, you, you poor people um, uh, who we are your enemies, you need to love your enemies, you need to be uh, um, uh, gracious towards, towards us, your oppressors. He was not part of, of the wealthy Jewish elite, again, telling the oppressed, uh, and the poor Jewish craftsmen, the rural farmers, they needed to love uh, the wealthy oppressors in spite of the hardship and the injustice that the elite had caused them. Jesus was speaking to his fellow impoverished Jews. He was trying to inspire them with an approach that rather than destroying their enemies, he ha this approach had the, had the potential to transform their enemies. And, and although Jesus did not use the, the, the same language that, that King would use some 2,000 years later, what Jesus taught was, in essence, King's double victory. There is another important difference, though. Recently, a police officer who was attending one of my presentations, he strongly objected to my support of the Black Lives Matter movement. And his objection was based on um, what he perceived to be a sector of that movement that, that uh, doesn't feel that there's anything wrong with using violent means in order to be heard. And I thought that him being a police officer and having concerns with um, um, the use of violence, the irony of that, 
uh, was lost on him. But, but the difference I want you to consider is that Martin Luther King Jr. had to be a man of color telling other black men to work towards transforming their white enemies. Gandhi had to be a brown-skinned Indian inspiring his fellow Indian citizens to seek the transformation of their British oppressors. The, the point is this. Had King been white or had Gandhi been a, a British colonialist, a message of enemy love would have been itself a subtle form of violence toward the oppressed, and it would have continued their oppression. Those in uh, the place of uh, oppression, their, their role is not to preach enemy love to the oppressed, uh, because it, it smacks of self-concern. Um, that, that, that you're to love us, your enemies. Um, the, the role of the oppressors is to, and we'll get to this in a moment, is to restore, is to make reparations. But, but, but follow with me. Again, um, had King again been white, had Gandhi been a British colonialist, uh, preaching enemy love from, from those voices uh, would have been a, a subtle form of violence to the oppressed. The exceptions to this, there are exceptions, and the exceptions to this are when there are some internal variations uh, within these larger groups among the oppressed, and we have to consider that. King was a black uh, man speaking to black people, but he was also a middle-class, highly educated black male from the clergy class. And Gandhi, although he was an Indian speaking to Indians, he was also light-skinned. Uh, he was uh, um, not a part of the, the, the social class uh, of the untouchables, was the so-called untouchables. And, and he was a lawyer, and from, he was, that's second from the top in the caste system in their social pyramid. Sometimes there, there are intra-group variations uh, and what I mean by intergroup is um, um, you can have groups that are different and yet the same. They, they belong to both uh, – how do I explain this? There are people that, that, that belong to both the oppressed group and the oppressor's group simultaneously. And sometimes there, there are these intergroup variations that – and these the, because of that, that, that hybrid nature, they can speak to these matters less oppressively. Um, they may look different, in, in, in other words, but they share some other facets of the oppressed people's experience uh, more than those whose appearance is the same. Let me give you an example. I'm in, in community with a person of color who, who if, if she hears Justice Clarence Thomas uh, speaking on race, she doesn't respect him at all. But, but she equally feels that Jane Elliott, who's white, could credibly speak on the matter. So there are ways for people who look the same to sustain the same oppression that the mainstream sustains. The, the, the point is that commonality and solidarity just simply can't be assessed on the basis of, of one characteristic alone, and this is called intersectionality. Intersectionality is a theory. It highlights these intragroup distinctions, and, and they're important. And if you'd like to explore some of these ideas more, I'll put a link to an article written by a dear friend of mine, Dr. Keisha E. McKenzie. Uh, she wrote, uh, We're Not All Alone like, and that's not a problem. But uh, the, the point of this week is that preaching enemy love, if you're part of the, uh, the group who's subjugating another group, 
um, or whether you're doing the subjugating or not, if you belong to that social class, you have to be very careful in preaching to those whom your cl- your cl- social class is is oppressing. You have to be careful preaching to them to love you despite what your group is doing to them, because uh, again, it 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 smacks of self preservation, self centeredness. Um, if you belong to that class, a class that's oppressing another, your job is not to preach enemy love. Your job is to restore and make reparation. Um, the, the message of enemy love has to come from within the group that's being oppressed, much like it was with King and much like it was in the example of Gandhi and very much so like it was in the example of Jesus as being a, a poor Jewish man in the first century. And let me talk lastly about an accompanying call for restoration. Jesus spoke powerfully and convincingly to the poor classes of the Jews of his time, yet, yet Jesus's message of, of enemy love uh, to the oppressed, his fellow oppressed, it was accompanied with a strong requirement that the oppressors, that they restore justice toward the oppressed. Like the Jewish prophets before them, he, he didn't call this uh, a charity to the oppressed. He called this justice. As I read uh, recently this week, uh, someone online posted that the opposite of poverty is not wealth, it's justice. In Luke uh, 12, 33, Said Jesus preaches, sell your possessions and give to the poor. This is what he was calling the the, the wealthy elite to do. In Luke 19, 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Luke 7, 29, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. So again, the tax collectors were responding positively, and they were selling their possessions and giving them to the poor. Um, To only call the oppressed to love their enemies without calling for the oppressors to simultaneously make reparations and restore justice is a subtle form of violence to those who are being wronged. If enemy love is going to be taught, It must, with the same breath, be taught alongside emphatic calls for justice to be restored. The goal is not to replace one hegemony again with another, uh, to place the oppressed on the top instead. The goal is rather a world where every person participates in equity, where each can share in abundance, uh, enjoying the sun and the rain side by side, and where there's enough for all. That's going to call for enemy love from one side and restoration and reparation from the other. And one last word, loving your enemies is not letting them off the hook. It's not ignoring what they've done, uh, lessening its value or pretending that it's nothing. It, it takes their, sense, their offense very seriously, but it also desires their transformation. Loving your enemies is the desire that they don't face mere retribution, but rather they encounter a new way of seeing, a new way of thinking and feeling and and choosing. It's a desire for them to experience healing and to choose to reject their place in the great machines of injustice. And who knows, they might just join you in trying to transform the very ones whom they used to resemble. But the question we must wrestle with is, is whether the radical transformation of the Zacchaeuses in our lives is enough. Do, do we need them to pay as some form of penance for what they've done? 
if they should be brought to a place where they desire to give out of a sincere wish to restore, would that be enough? It really does come down to asking the question of intent. What is it that you desire for your enemies? Is it a world where, where you're now on top and you're dominating those that once wronged you? Uh, or, or do you desire a double victory, a world where your enemies have undergone radical transformation? Is your desire a world where, where there is no more domination, no more oppression, no more subjugation by anyone, no more discrimination, no more injustice, a world where the sun shines and the rain falls on all alike? Can, can you you share a world with those who have wronged you if they were won rather than just defeated, if they were transformed rather than just destroyed? Could you live in a world alongside of them if they too were radically changed? And if your answer is yes, then you're moving toward the heart of the message of the Jesus of Sayings Gospel Q as he admonished us to love our enemies. And as we progress through Sayings Gospel Q, we're going to encounter Jesus' strong words to those who, who need to restore the justice they violated. And that part of the message is as vital as the part we're looking at today. But both messages are what we must wrestle with if we want a world that is truly safe and compassionate for everyone. So in the words of Sayings Gospel Q, love your enemies, pray for those persecuting you, so that you may be sons of your Father, for he raises his son on the good and the bad, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Heart group application this week, is transformation enough or do we want retribution? And this week I want you to begin with a private exercise. Picture the person on this planet that you like the least. And when you have them in your mind's eye, ask yourself, would it be enough for you if that person came to, to understand what they've done to you? If they were more than sorry, if they actively sought to repair the wrong that they have done to you? And not all wrongs can be undone, but if that person was transformed, could you forgive? Number two, uh, Jesus in Sayings Gospel Q calls us to, to preempt this transformation by initiating the process with enemy love. This doesn't mean that you accept what they've done. And it, it, what it means is that you imagine them transformed and you interact with them and you have in view this end result of their transformation. And as you ponder these questions, what I want you to do this week is write down the questions, the emotions, the struggles, and the challenges that these questions present to you. And then number three, if you feel comfortable, share what you learn with your heart group. Discuss with each other how whether we belong to the party of the oppressed or the oppressors or to both parties in, in, in different ways, uh, can we move toward a safer, uh, a more compassionate world for, for all where equity is indiscriminate as the, the shining of the sun or the falling of the rain? And then make some choices to act in the way of either forgiveness or reparation. Now, these steps don't have to be huge at all. You, you can take small steps, but take a step step toward uh, either transform transformative forgiveness or restorative reparation in, in one of the ways that you discussed with your heart group. Enemy love and enemy transformation was at the heart of Jesus' teachings and sayings gospel cue. It was at the heart of Gandhi's uh, ahimsa, uh, love or compassion, and uh, it was at the heart of King's struggles for racial equity and his final movements in the, the Poor People's Campaign. And yes, if you take these steps, there will be pushback. 
When you call for change, there will be pushback from those ill-treating you. Uh, but just keep calling, all, all the while learning to love transformationally those who oppose you. And remember, as the Dalai Lama has said, it is the enemy who can truly teach us to practice the virtues of compassion and tolerance. Till the only world remains is a world where only love reigns. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is for free. Even our educational seminars that we do in various venues. We are a not-for-profit religious re-education ministry. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or you can become one of our monthly contributors by going to www.renewedheartministries.com and clicking the Donate tab at the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. Make sure you also sign up for our our free resources. And remember, every little bit helps. And, And as always, anything we receive above and beyond our annual budget, we gladly give away to other charities that are making uh, both systemic and personal differences, significant differences in the lives of the poor. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of RHM, we simply could not do this uh, without you. From all of us here at Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you.